Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Well, we made it to Friday again. That's a win. (laughs) Glad you're with us on the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool is prepared. We once again have no good martinis. But... Hey, well, we got uh, plenty to talk about today. But real quick, yesterday, Jim, so much fun talking about uh, USC trying to ban the word field, especially as in field work. But of course, uh, we took it a little bit further in, in terms of all athletic uh, pursuits. And the one that I should have had right off the tip of my tongue, one of our great listeners uh, mentioned on Twitter yesterday. What about Justin Practica, the uh, starting quarterback for the <laughs> Chicago Bears? <laughs> uh, and I appreciate how he pluralized the Latin. That was, that was very good. Uh, wouldn't be Justin Practica. I'm Justin Practica. And uh, will the Bears trade him? I don't think they're going to trade him. I assume Ryan uh, uh, Poles, the uh, GM, is going to talk a lot about potentially drafting a quarterback so that number one pick uh, retains a lot of value. Because, look, the two quarterbacks everybody's talking about is uh, Bryce Young from Alabama, Uh, who I think will be a good quarterback, but he does have a tendency to get hurt. He's not quite as sturdy as Justin Fields, so that's always a risk. Plus, we don't, I don't think, need one. I think Fields is developing fine as long as he gets some more help around him. And the other guy everybody's talking about is a quarterback from North Carolina. Jim, Mitch Trubisky was from North Carolina. I don't think the Bears are going to take another QB from the the Tar Heels for another century. (laughs) So I don't think that's... Uh, Greg, I'm sorry I missed that. I was just listening to the Beatles song, Strawberry Practica Forever. (laughs) Yeah, once you try to get rid of a common word like fields, you're in trouble. By the way, I did see a headline. I, I you know, I, I admit I don't follow the Bears nearly as much as uh, obviously the Jets and, and other stuff. So when I saw the headline, Chicago GM polls uh, likely to make X decision or something like that, I for a split second, I thought that was a really crude ethnic stereotype about a large minority in the city of Chicago. <laughs> It turns out Poles is his actual surname, which makes him really fitting to be that GM in that city. So good for him. <laughs> we love the Poles. They're the only people in Europe who remember the Cold War because they remember yes, how horrible yeah. it was. So them and the Czechs. And, but it's probably a good thing Kevin Pollack didn't become a famous now because that, be, that would be awkward. But uh, no, we absolutely love the Poles. The, they, they understand freedom and they understand uh, when creeping tyranny is coming. I wish the rest of Europe and Western civilization was as uh, sharp as they were on that front. But what we do have today, Jim, is uh, bad, crazy, and bad. Is that what it is? Officially, it's bad, crazy, crazy, now that I have uh, gone back to the tape. But let's start with the bad. And this could easily be crazy as well, because whenever a Democrat gets in trouble, Jim, it's never really the Democrats' fault in the eyes of the mainstream media. Either they're just an innocent victim of circumstances or, uh, you know, it's the real story is the Republicans pouncing on the challenges that they face because it's you can't just focus on the problem itself. And uh, Alexi McCammond over at... Uh, Axios is part of this today, and we're going to cite a CNN story on the Biden classified document story as well. But uh, McCammon is just uh, absolutely, uh, you know, chef's kiss on this stuff today. Uh, She says, Buttigieg, this is about Pete Buttigieg and the numerous transportation uh, department uh, challenges from supply chain to the potential railroad strike to Southwest to this FAA problem over the past couple days, Buttigieg has in several cases been the victim of circumstances that predated his time in office, such as the ancient computers and infrastructure that appear to contribute to the FAA disaster. That's probably true in part. I don't remember other people getting that kind of uh, defense, though. That hasn't stopped Republicans from relentlessly attacking Buttigieg each time a crisis has arisen, accusing the former small town mayor of being incompetent 
and ill-qualified. Here's my favorite part, though, Jim. The lack of a permanent FAA administrator has also required Buttigieg to assume a more public-facing role. His frequent appearances on Fox News and other cable channels, a relic of the go-everywhere media strategy that vaulted him to the top of the Democratic field in 2020, have reinforced his status as one of the party's most effective communicators. Jim, forced to be in front of a camera? Pete Buttigieg lives for that. You think he would rather be hunkered down in his corner office at the Department of Transportation or on vacation, as he as he tends to be? Uh, not to be outdone, though, CNN, uh, trying to figure out why Biden was in possession of classified documents from his vice presidential days when he shouldn't have been, includes this in explanation. The looming arrival of Trump to the White House, meeting in January 2017, left many of Obama and Biden's aides wary of the future and eager to cement many of their accomplishments. It was an uneasy moment, according to many who lived through it. It was just a really, really weird time for everyone, a source familiar said. And then they also point out that Biden had a bunch of foreign trips right up to the very end of the administration, and you have to put together classified memos on that sort of stuff. So, Jim, it's all perfectly explainable and innocent. And once again, if you're upset with this news, uh, you're just pouncing. So first step regarding Buttigieg. Um, Sure, it's not all his fault. There's a pre-existing transportation infrastructure before he gets into the position of transportation secretary. He doesn't have all, you know, uh, godlike powers over the state of that infrastructure and how everything operates. He's just one man. Uh, he's just got one, you know, he's not going to have, it's, some of these problems are going to take time and they're going to spring up. Okay, sure. But he did make several decisions that have put him in this spot, including, you know, step one is accepting the job. Um, you choose to go on paternity leave for two months as this backlog at the West Coast ports are building up. You're going to get some grief over it. If you choose to fly on private jets when the country's airports are having all kinds of delays and snarls and problems, you're going to get some grief for that. Nobody put a gun to his head and said, you have to take your husband to a sports events in the Netherlands by chartering a military jet. Um, and then, of course, I think the other thing is that I went back and looked through a bunch of his public events. A lot of them. Look, of course, does the transportation secretary have a role in promoting build back better? Sure. That's perfectly normal for most administrations. Greg, I don't know about you. I don't remember the transportation secretary ever appearing on James Corden's Late Late Show or any other late night equivalent. Can you? Nah, I don't watch those a lot, but no, I don't. I, like, you know, I, maybe post 9-11, Norm Mineta went on once. I, I, off the top of my head, it's just, you, you know, usually transportation secretary is one of the lowest profile cabinet gigs. And here Buttigieg is everywhere. And oh, by the way, in that appearance last September, where they, you know, he and the host are talking about air travel delays and Buttigieg says, I think it's going to get better by the holidays. No, again, nobody forced him to say that. So why is he getting grief for it not getting better by the holidays? Because he went on national television and said it was going to get better by the holidays, right? When you tell people this is going to get better and it doesn't, then you end up getting some grief. Now, is some of this stuff, um, Republicans who enjoy knocking him around because they remember him from his 2020 presidential campaign and don't like him? Sure. Is some of this coming from the left? Um, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders fans who remember him from the primary and can't stand him and see him as ever, the epitome of everything that's wrong with the Democratic Party. And thus, they're going to knock him around every chance they get. Sure, that's a factor. Is the vice president probably plotting some terrible disaster to befall? 
Pete Buttigieg. Yes, that is an extremely likely thing as well. So yeah, he's getting it from all kinds of directions, but he's also handed his critics some really easy sticks to hit him with, so to speak. There was another metaphor I could have used, but I didn't want to be seen as targeting Buttigieg on that criteria. So he kind of invited a bunch of this. And then on the case of Biden, you know, the argument for, uh, for regarding Trump was, you know, Trump spent months of November in December 2020, and a good chunk of January 2021, insisting he was not going to be leaving office. That, in fact, something was going to happen that was going to declare he was the real winner, and thus there was no need to start packing up his office and start getting ready to move stuff out. Thus, when he actually did, the process was very hasty and and all that stuff. Uh, and you know, Classified documents got mixed up with the other with regular documents, and that's how they ended up at Mar-a-Lago. That's not the full explanation. But that does seem like a reasonable explanation of how that came to pass. And now we hear from the Biden team, hey, we had our own issues uh, involving the transition. One of the things that I'd kind of like to explore further is I've heard the arguments that the the federal government overclassifies way too much information. That a whole bunch of stuff that is not a secret and is pretty much available through open source and doesn't really need to be considered classified is still considered classified in part out of institutional paranoia, in part out of, you know, bureaucratic butt covering and a variety of other factors that it's always easier to, you know, nobody's ever going to punish you for being too cautious. They will punish you for not being cautious enough. And so maybe, you know, the White House, the uh, Naval Observatory, old executive office building, West Wing, maybe the highest level of government are just full of stacks of classified information. That just far too much of it. And some of this gets mixed in with the regular stuff. And that's how these things happen. And maybe nobody's really deliberately making any terrible errors or something. Maybe this is a sort of mistake that's very easy to make. But still, the law is the law. And there is no, oh, hey, this was in your garage. The garage was locked and it's near your Corvette. Well, then, okay. Then it's right. Then it's safe enough. Uh, yeah. Fascinating on a number of fronts, uh, Jim. Uh, first of all, uh, with Buttigieg, you know, I don't know if you saw the the quote he had the other day. As bad as it was, there was a full ground stop across the country on flights. We got an important data point, he said, uh, uh, at an important uh, failure in the system. And a lot of people took to online and says, that sounds a lot like McKinsey, where the consultants come in and, no, 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 we didn't screw anything up. Uh, this is actually, this problem is actually just goes to what we already said and why we're totally on the right track. Uh, the other thing is, is apparently the official explanation is, is that one person uh, made a mistake with one file and it shut the whole system down. So I'm wondering if maybe uh, that's a problem. This sounds a lot like low-level employees in Cincinnati, but uh, <laughs> if, if, if it really happened that way, you might want to fix that. As somebody had said in regards most infrastructure projects, that there, everybody loves building a new thing. New highway interchange, new road, new bridge, new thing, you know, because there's a big ribbon, you get to name it after somebody, big ribbon cutting ceremony, everybody gets to, you know, take credit for it. Fixing the old stuff, nobody gets any ceremonies over that. There's no glamour in it. There's no, there's no prestige. There's no fun in it, but it's actually what's much more necessary. You kind of wonder if that kind of philosophy applies to computer systems as well. That, you know, that upgrading your computer systems is probably something that's long overdue at a whole bunch of government offices. But it's not the glamorous thing to do, so it never really gets all that high on the priority list. Oh, and speaking of Biden, one of those trips was to Ukraine. That was the infamous, uh, hey, you want the billion dollars? That'd be a shame if something happened to your prosecutor then. Oh, you fired him. Good work. Here's your billion. Uh, so that's uh, that's how that all worked out. But uh, look, if you're concerned about your money 
and how our government is using your money and whether they're taking good care of it, which, of course, most of the time they're not. Uh, you are going to want to catch the Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski. Chris really helps unpack the connection between politics and the economy and how it affects you. Just this past week, he's taken a look at inflation numbers and job numbers, what they tell you up front, and what uh, the, the top line numbers really don't tell you. Go ahead and check out the Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jim, on to our first crazy martini now. And this also relates to the Biden document situation, but it's not about uh, the documents themselves. It's not about... Joe Biden. Uh, Hank Johnson is a Democratic congressman from Georgia. I'm actually glad Hank Johnson's in Congress. And the reason Hank Johnson's in Congress is because he beat Cynthia McKinney, who was an absolutely terrible person. She thought 9-11 was an inside job. And then uh, she got booted out because of that. And then she got elected again. And then she assaulted a uh, Capitol Police officer uh, for not seeing her pin when she was trying to walk around a metal detector. So she did not belong in Congress. Hank Johnson beat her in a primary. But Hank Johnson has also not distinguished himself <laughs> over the years. Uh, most famously, because if you're going to talk about Hank, you got to talk about this. He was talking to the commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet about military personnel and equipment building up on the island of Guam, which led to this. My fear is that uh, the whole island will uh, become so overly populated that it will tip over and... Uh, and capsize. Uh, we don't anticipate that. Fortunately, to date, Jim, Guam has not tipped over, but we always check on it every single day just to make sure. Uh, but now Hank Johnson finds it very curious that we're having this Joe Biden classified document issue now. In fact, it's a little too curious. Here's what he said yesterday outside the Capitol. That's what I call for is for everything to be investigated, but I'm suspicious of the timing of it. I'm, I'm also aware of the fact that things can be planted on people. P places and things can be planted. Um, or things, things can be planted in places uh, and then discovered conveniently. That may be what has occurred here. I'm not ruling that out. But I don't, I'm, I'm open in terms of the investigation. needs to be investigated. I, Jim, you know, I used to work with... G. Gordon Liddy, and if anybody would have wanted to go plant classified documents in Joe Biden's garage or, uh, you know, at his uh, office, I'm sure that might have crossed his mind. In this situation, though, it seems more sloppy than, uh, than nefarious, but who knows? Some people think it's Democrats trying to shove Biden out, uh, even though the midterms didn't go as badly as they expected. So I don't know what's happening. It's probably just the fact that uh, they took classified documents and put them in these places. But uh, what do you make of uh, Hank Johnson's Legacy of curious statements here. So if you're a dumb Republican, I do want you to get called out. I think the media does a pretty good job of that. Dumb Democrats don't get called out nearly on the, the scale and scope that dumb Republicans are. And I, you know, and that's one of the reasons they're able to stay in office. Um, when I think it was Sheila Jackson Lee who asked the NASA administrator if the Mars rover was going to visit the spot where the astronauts had left the flag. <laughs> on Mars, right? I, you know, I don't necessarily want a recall election at the drop of a hat, but there was a while somebody blurts one out there where you're like, mm, you should not be in Congress. You, this, this is some basic elementary school stuff that you're supposed to know, uh, whether it's physics with Hank Johnson or, uh, you know, basic astronomy of like, what is the moon? What is the Mars? With Sheila? At some point we say, no, sorry, 
you have triggered the too dumb to be in Congress uh, initiative, and thus there must be at minimum a recall election in your home district. I, I'd like to see that happen. Um, yeah, I realize this stuff is pretty arbitrary, but I, I do think there is that threshold. We need to define that, yes, there is such a thing as too dumb to be in Congress. And I kind of have to notice, again, it's, this happened yesterday. It's only been a day, but... Uh, Greg, have you seen PolitiFact or FactCheck.org or Glenn or Kessler or any, any of these other guys? Have any of them jumped and said, we're going to fact check Hank Johnson's claim that there's <laughs> someone may have planted these? Now, I must emphasize, Glenn Kessler works for the Washington Post and the Washington Post is awesome. And all of its employees are awesome. And I say that as a regular columnist at the Washington Post. Uh, but just, nonetheless, this seems like a natural low hanging fruit for fact checking and saying, no, there is no evidence that this was planted. Uh, and it, you know that this is part of some vast right wing conspiracy to make Biden look bad. There are a variety of reasons to, to dismiss that, but high among them is Biden insisting. By the way, my Corvette is in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like they're sitting out in the street. It was like Biden himself has said, yes, the documents were there. So it's really hard to believe that you know Biden is a victim of some vast conspiracy, somebody breaking in and slipping those classified documents in there. Um. So I'd like to see, you know, Hank Johnson get a lot of mockery. Uh, I'd like to see the fact checkers pointing out that, you know, the Democratic caucus in the House has its share of idiots and they say things that are just blatantly true. I mean, this really is, I mean, people can't see the hand gestures I'm making, but let's say you put, you know, Hank Johnson saying there's a vast conspiracy to plant these documents in Biden's garage next to the Corvette. I'm raising my hand a centimeter. Right around here is where I'd put Alex Jones saying they're putting stuff in the water to make the frogs gay on the craziness scale, right? Maybe it's not quite as crazy as Alex Jones, but it's not that far away from it. And uh, I don't know, uh, Greg, you think Nina Jankowitz is going to sing a song about it? <laughs> no? No fact checkers are interested? Okay. Yeah. Nothing's going to top Guam. Well, I shouldn't say never, but uh, <laughs> e even this doesn't match. Will Guam tip over? And the reaction of the... Uh, How did the witness being... not say... Congressman, have you suffered a concussion? He <laughs> was so diplomatic. He's just like, yeah, we're not really concerned about that. <laughs> I guess that's all you can say. Yeah. All right. On to our second crazy martini now. And Jim, one of the things that we're watching in addition, of course, to who decides to get into the presidential race is uh, who's going to jump into some of these key Senate races. Once again, uh, it's going to be kind of touch and go. Uh, I'm sure the presidential race will have an impact on who controls the Senate, but the map uh, definitely looks more favorable for Republicans this time. Uh, in 2022, Republicans playing a ton of defense. This time, not as much, but Indiana is one of those races we're going to watch. Most likely, the Republican nominee will be in good shape to hold that seat. Mike Braun, after one term, is running for governor. There are two candidates from the House likely to jump in, Jim Banks, who's a pretty strong conservative, and Victoria Sparts, who is a relatively new member of the House. I think it's only her second term, but uh, she was risen in prominence because she was born in Ukraine and has had a lot to say about the war. And another person who has not uh, entered the race yet, but has uh, publicly said that he's taking a close look at it, is Mitch Daniels. Mitch Daniels is a former two-term governor of Indiana. Uh, he also was President Bush's uh, budget director, and I'm probably missing some other job that he had here in Washington uh, back during that era. And so he's 73 years old now. We'll see if he gets in. But you uh, did not appreciate the Club for Growth running a minute-long attack ad against Mitch Daniels, trying to discourage him from even getting in the race. And not just because... Uh, 
he liked Mitch Daniels, but because he thought that the ad was pretty misleading, both in terms of his uh, approach to fiscal responsibility and his record as uh, president of Purdue University, which he did after he was after he was governor. So uh, what do you make of uh, the club for growth and the fight happening before a candidate's even in the race? Well, I, I'll walk you through it and then I'll offer my theory of what's going on here. But the first is that if the club for growth had run an ad and said, Mitch Daniels, you're 73 years old. Uh, we thank you for your service. We think you've done a great job in the past, but it's time for somebody new. It's time for new blood, a fresh face. That strikes me as an entirely reasonable argument. If they said we prefer one of the two congressmen that are uh, you know, members of Congress that are running, fine, fine. That's entirely reasonable, normal. I, you know, I, I pr- might not agree with it. I'm a big fan of Mitch Daniels, but if you think if you prefer one of the others, that's not a crazy position to make. But it didn't just go that. It didn't just say, you know, oh, it's time for some new blood. It made the argument that uh, that he was, you know, after 50 years of big government, big pharma, and big academia, Mitch Daniels forgot how to fight. Now, Greg, anybody with even a fleeting familiarity with Mitch Daniels' record as governor would say, wow, this was the guy who was nicknamed The Blade by my former colleague, Mark Hemingway. He is probably the best cost-cutting, best spending-controlling, best tax-cutting governor of the past 25 years, or at least he's a strong contender for that title. Politico said that he's, you know, looks at the state of the state in 2004, built up a $2 billion rainy day fund, AAA credit rating. I mean, basically every fiscal conservative looks at Mitch Daniels' record, his two terms as Indiana governor, and says, yes, that is what we want. That is an exceptional job. So if you're Club for Growth, and Club for Growth sees it, it describes itself as pro-growth, but also limited government, also limited spending. We know how hard it is to cut spending at any level in government. Mitch Daniels did it. You would think Mitch Daniels would have his own like Hall of Fame display somewhere in Club for Growth headquarters. And, you know, so the idea of coming out and not just saying, hmm, Mitch, you had a great run, time for somebody else. They decide to trash him. That's ridiculous. But the part that really jumped out at me, that really stuck in my craw, is the sneer that he's been part of big academia. And what that means is that he's been president of Purdue University for the past 11 years. And this has gotten a decent amount of attention from conservatives, but probably not enough, is that in those 11 years, Mitch Daniels has ensured there have been no tuition or fee increases at Purdue University. In the world of higher education, that is just unheard of. Oh, by the way, during this same time, they have decreased room and board rates. And that's just on the financial side. During the past 11 years, Mitch Daniels stood up for free speech, fought the woke crowd, fought the suppression of speech, diversity of thoughts, stood up for all that kind of stuff. Oh, by the way, he opposed vaccine mandates for students and staff. And he basically just ran a clinic on this is how a smart conservative can run a university, keep the costs low, and ensure that it provides students an excellent education. Now, uh, oh, by the way, he also taught a course in World War One. Good for him. You, know, you look at the state of higher education of the last decade or two, a lot. there's a lot of problems. In fact, it, generally, people would say quality is getting worse. It's getting more expensive, ludicrous administrative staff uh, bloat, and an even more vindictive and punitive mindset has taken root in university after university. And Purdue stands alone, right? Now, in light of all that, I thought what we on the right wanted was people like Mitch Daniels to go into universities and to start running them the way he did. You think you'd say, hey, attaboy, Mitch Daniels. You think you'd say, this is great. But no, no, what we get is Club for Growth saying, ah, he's forgot how to fight in big academia. Kind of ridiculous. I mean, here you, you go out and you do exactly what the conservative movement says they want you to do. And then you get out 
and moment you are interested in running for in a Senate spot that maybe they want somebody else in, they trash your record. It is shameful. It is appalling. And if you wonder why the conservative movement doesn't gain more traction, maybe it's stuff like this. Now, I said at the beginning of this, I had a theory. I liked Mitch Daniels a lot. I'm not saying he's perfect. And there's other parts of his record that I'm not a huge fan of, most notably towards the end. He, you know, he had thought about running for president for about 10 minutes. And uh, five minutes into that, he met with some reporters in Washington. I was one of them, got to listen to him. And my impression was, wow, this guy's really great. He's also going to be really tough to elect. As I commonly say, not a whirling dervish of raw political charisma. All he does is generate good economic results. You know, how dare he? But I also am emphasizing economic results. He's never been a social issue warrior. Um, in fact, at one point towards the end of his time as governor, he floated the idea of a truce on social issues so that we could focus on getting our fiscal house in order. Unsurprisingly, social conservatives did not like that idea. Also, I have really, I doubt that would work. I don't think the social liberals and, and woke crowd and folks like that, the, the I don't think they're capable of that. This is their reason for existence. They, they, they're, you know, if you issue the truce, they'll break the truce at the first opportunity. And I think that left, you know, that leaves some conservatives pretty angry. If you, know, if you look at that and you say that disqualifies you, uh, Mitch Daniels, I don't want you in the Senate for that reason. Okay. I don't may not necessarily agree with it, but I can see where you're coming from. Alas, Club for Growth is not a socially conservative organization. It's not part of its mission. It's not part of its mindset and philosophy. My suspicion is somebody over at Club for Growth doesn't like Mitch Daniels because of the social issue stuff, because of the proposal of the truce. And they want to hit him. Because they can't really hit him on that because people would start asking, wait, why is Club for Growth weighing in on social issues? So they're pretending that Mitch Daniels is this full spectrum squish. But to do that, you have to completely mischaracterize and in fact, just flat out lie about his record. And I don't think our politics gets any better when we resort to steps like this, Greg. Yeah, I think if you look, especially the fiscal record, uh, Mitch Daniels has been pretty good. He was the budget director during Bush's first four years. And spending and deficits definitely did rise. We had the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, uh, the development of the Department of Homeland Security, which in retrospect, we can decide if, if that consolidation was warranted. Uh, uh, and then also uh, there was uh, a Medicare expansion, Part D, prescription drug coverage. That's where the pharma reference comes in, I assume. Now, to assume that Mitch Daniels was in favor of all that stuff is quite a leap. I mean, if you look at where spending has been and what Republicans have agreed to uh, in recent years, including the Bush administration and really the Trump administration, I mean, Donald Trump really made no effort to to rein in spending. If you were to ask Russ Vogt, the last budget director, or Mick Mulvaney, what they would have loved and preferred to have had in the budget compared to what Congress spit out and the president signed— uh, I think you would have had very different ideas. So uh, while Mitch Daniels obviously wasn't about to go out there and scream and shout at, at the legislation that the Bush administration wanted, uh, I don't necessarily think you can assume that he was a cheerleader behind closed doors. Uh, you can put that on the Bush administration if you want to. But uh, in the end, uh, I think his record when he actually got to call the shots is probably a better gauge of that. Now, if you think that Jim Banks is a younger guy with a conservative record that's building is I assume he's the club for growth guy in this race. That's a whole different story. If, if they have a record, you can compare to one another. But to uh, assign the Bush fiscal record with Mitch Daniels directly, while understandable because they're on the same team, uh, to say that that was his uh, agenda, I, I think would be a bit premature and probably unfair. I, I agree. Like here's the, if you if you want to, if you prefer one guy over another guy in the Republican primary, and by the way, this philosophy applies well to Democrats too. Just just criticize fairly. Criticize stuff that's, you know, that's fair game. I think Daniel's age is, I think the argument that he's had, you know, plenty of time in the spotlight, he's made his mark. 
and that somebody else could represent the state of Indiana better. Uh, you know, that's that's reasonable. There's an argument to go for the trusted name, you know, the guy who's got a proven record in these areas. Um, but if you want somebody who's uh, younger, newer on the scene, maybe has new ideas, fine. That, that's fine with that. That's not what they're doing here. And I think that's one of the reasons, like, it indicates this just frothing at the mouth hostility that is animating certain members of the conservative movement. And it ends up hurting us down the road. You'd like to see them start with uh, ads in favor of the person that they like. Uh, negative ads are part of it, though. As uh, James Carville once said, a negative ad is... <laughs> It's an ad with a fact in it, uh, but I'm not sure that's necessarily the case in some of the accusations in this time. But they do work, and that's why they keep that's why they keep happening, even though everybody says they hate them. They're effective. So we'll see what Mitch Daniels decides. We'll see who gets in this race. We'll see who gets in a bunch of different races. So uh, Republicans have a lot of good opportunities. Uh, let's hope they uh, end up choosing better candidates than they did for some of these Senate seats than they did in 2022. But uh, Jim, on that note, let's exhale, get into the weekend, see who wins the wild card round games, and uh, and reconvene on Monday. See you then. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. And tell a friend about us as well. Thanks also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep them coming. Also, uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific weekend and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.